Welcome everyone to the Establish the Edge podcast. I'm your host, Drew Dinkmeyer, in place of Mike Leone as Mike gallivants around Europe, Italy specifically. I'm taking over the host role. Today we're going to talk about coaching changes and how they impact fantasy football and projections and expectations for the 2023-2024 season. Joining me to talk through this are the two projection gurus alongside Mike Leone on our projections team, Jack Miller and Mark Dankenbring. Jack, how are you? I'm pretty good. I'm excited that Establish the Edge is going strong even without Leone here. Hope he's having a nice trip, but uh, excited to be here with you guys today. Mark, how are you on this fine summer summer afternoon? Doing great. It's great to talk to you in the NFL streets, Dink. Uh, we obviously have a lot of experience doing some stuff over in NBA, so fun to be on Establish the Edge with you. Beautiful, beautiful. All right, so in the NFL this offseason, there were a ton of coaching changes. And really, as we've seen in the past, coaching changes can unlock or derail offenses in a pretty big way. So we want to hone in on seven different coaching changes that we think have the biggest influences or we have the most clear understanding of how they're going to influence how these teams play and how it may impact fantasy football projections. There were 13 coaching changes in in total this offseason when you take into account head coaches, coordinators, um, but we're going to focus in on seven and the seven most impactful. Uh, I'm going to start towards the tail end of the list and work towards the high end of the list in terms of the ones that we think are the most impactful, the ones that you're really going to want to take advantage of. But let's start with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And Jack, I'll start with you from a coaching uh, perspective. There's there's not only coaching changes here, but there's also you know a big change at quarterback, obviously, without Tom Brady running the point on the offense. Um, you've got a, a new offensive coordinator in Dave Canales, the former Seahawks quarterback coach. So a lot of changes here for Tampa Bay. What can we expect from Tampa Bay's offense in 2023-2024 that will look different from last year? Yeah, I personally think the biggest change there is going to going from Tom Brady to the combo of Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask. Over the past two years, we've seen the Buccaneers rank near the top of the league in pass rate over expectation. They were fourth in the league at plus 4.9% last year, and uh, I, I think even higher two years ago. So they've been among the highest pass rate uh, over expectation and raw pass rate in the league the last two years. But that was with the GOAT under center. And Todd Bowles has said a few times during his tenure that he thinks that uh, the Bucks need to go more run heavy. And, and so he said that last year, he said that two years ago, but they never really did it. And I think maybe that was just because they had Tom Brady um, as their quarterback now with kind of a veteran in Baker Mayfield, who's, who's just a journeyman at this point, and then a super unproven option in Trask. Maybe they start to lean more on the ground game, at least as much as game script permits, because, you know, this this does not look like a good football team on paper. They probably won't be leading in many games, um, but a more balanced approach in Tampa Bay this year, as opposed to the past heavy offense we've seen the past two seasons. Yeah, it, it certainly... Tom Brady's offenses, especially late in halves and quarters, played really fast, right? Uh, an expert at running the two-minute drill, managing the clock, um, and running the four-minute uh, offense as well. Dank, what are your expectations for Tampa Bay uh, this this upcoming season? In, in terms of projection-wise, um, when we're doing the season-long projections for fantasy, this is the biggest decline we have, you know, of any team in terms of plays per game and pass rate. Um, we're, we're projecting 7% lower pass rate this year compared to last year. 
and almost six plays fewer um, than the Bucks ran last year. So that obviously cuts out a ton of fantasy volume, especially to the receivers when you're when you're knocking down a bunch of plays as well as the pass rate. So as as Jack said, I expect this to be a little slower pace, potentially a little bit more run heavy. Um, Dave Canales has worked under Pete Carroll for the last 14 seasons, and he kind of I listened to an interview with him. He kind of stressed with talking with Todd Bowles. You know, they're going to lean on on the run game. Uh, avoiding turnovers, you know, leaning on the defense, playing a little slower. They know they're a little limited at quarterback. So I expect this to be a, a much slower, a much more run heavy game plan than we've seen in the last few years from the Bucks. Yeah. It'll be really interesting to see how things play out for a Bucks offense that has been super concentrated and super fast and providing a lot of volume for fantasy players in the past. Guys like Chris Godwin, Mike Evans have been fantasy stalwarts. Their draft stocks have obviously taken a hit this year. Rashad White looks in line to take over the bulk of the volume. I think it'll still be a concentrated offense, but just not nearly as efficient or as uh, voluminous in terms of providing opportunities. Uh, those, those players in particular, those three still carrying top eight, 10 round value probably a decent chance to pay it off but a lot of it will come down to you know where they end up finishing efficiency wise uh in in the ranks let's move on to the next uh offensive change that we want to talk about today and that's in indianapolis obviously a new quarterback situation here as well as the Colts selected anthony richardson fourth overall in the nfl draft they have a new head coach shane steichen former eagles offensive coordinator and there are so many different comparisons <laughs> with anthony richardson and jalen hurts and the Eagles, uh, new offensive coordinator, Jim Bob Cooter, former Jaguars passing game coordinator. So, Dank, are you drinking the Kool-Aid on Shane Steichen and Anthony Richardson and the Jalen Hurts comparisons? What are your expectations for the Colts this season? Um, not necessarily drinking it right away. I, I do think kind of the the moving over from Philadelphia, we're going to see you know more up-tempo, more pace uh, for the Colts here because they don't, you know, I'm, I'm expecting a not super efficient pass game here and, and definitely leaning more on the run. Um, you know, that idea certainly sounds better with Jonathan Taylor in the picture. And now there's some stuff up in the air about how involved he'll be right away. Um, you know, threatening a holdout and just uh, issues there with Jim Ursay and the team. So, um, you know, in terms of Anthony Richardson and, and what Shane Steichen brings there, obviously it's exciting that Shane, you know, worked with Jalen Hurts and we've seen the progression of Hurts over the, over the years as a passer, you know, first and foremost. And then, um, you know, I think with Richardson, we could see probably the the tush push in play here for some potential touchdowns in terms of, you know, uh, Richardson being a viable fantasy quarterback here early on. But in terms of comparing, you know, the Colts and, and how things will change from last season, they were definitely, um, you know, a, a decent pace team with under Matt Ryan, but they had, you know, different quarterbacks in there when Sam Ellinger got put in there. So it was kind of all over the place a bit. We saw with pace and, and pass rate and now with Shane Steichen in there, um, you know, th this, this offensive line too struggles a bit. Brandon Thorne has them ranked as 24th. So, um, I believe, you know, they're going to work a little bit more up tempo to try and, you know, help the scheme with the offensive line, help them out there a bit as, as well as lean run heavier. So I think we see obviously a decent amount of, of run game here and then deep shots down the field, uh, with the skill set of Anthony Richardson, you know, Michael Pittman had an extremely low a dot last year. And while he had solid volume, you know, it really didn't lead to much uh, fantasy wise. So I'm expecting bigger plays for him. And then the second year wide receiver, Alec Pierce is also a, a speedy downfield threat that could provide some chunk plays. So, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of moving parts here with new head coach and new quarterback. Um, but I'm expecting, yeah, decent tempo here uh, with, with a run heavy lean to, to uh, begin the season. Jack, what are your thoughts on the Indianapolis Colts upcoming offense this season? 
Yeah, I think Mark gave a pretty good synopsis of what we can expect there. We have Indianapolis with the fourth lowest um, pass rate, and that's not even factoring in that a good amount of their pass, their called pass plays could turn into Richardson scramble. So I definitely think they're going to lean on the ground game this year. In terms of comparing them to the Eagles, I definitely think that maybe it's a year or two um, until they even approach that level of efficiency. They do have Steichen, obviously, and then Richardson is a similar mold as Hertz, but Richardson's also a pretty raw prospect. And then the Eagles have arguably the best offensive line in the league, whereas Brandon Thorne ranked the Colts offensive line outside the top 20. Um, so I, I do think there's upside here um, in maybe in the next couple of years, but I think year one of Richardson um, might not see the same explosion that we saw from the Eagles offense last year. Yeah, and Richardson, obviously, you know, the prototype of a fantasy quarterback in terms of how you score points with the ability to do stuff on uh, on the ground with his legs. And then, as Mark alluded to, the tush-push play probably bring, being brought over from Philadelphia. Um, I'm interested to see if that actually impacts Jonathan Taylor at all in terms of uh, rushing touchdown inefficiency. One other note that I think gets lost in the mix on when doing the crossover comparison between the Eagles and the Colts is, Jalen Hurts is just an incredible worker, and this is starting to get attention paid to it in um, offseason and training cap, camp reports and whatnot, but he just work, works really, really hard. And this is not to say that Anthony Richardson does not, but just in terms of the movement, we, we know that that player works incredibly hard and had the best foundation you could possibly have with an elite offensive line and then brought over elite skill players in AJ Brown drafting Devonta Smith, uh, having Dallas Goddard around. So like a perfect situation to foster and develop Anthony Richardson's situation is not that yet. The Colts still have time to kind of build that out, but their offense is, I think it's going to be, it's going to be really, really limited play volume because I think they're going to play slower on the whole with uh, an emphasis on running the ball more. And then I think when they hit offensively, it's going to be via big plays. So I think they're going to be a, an offense that's going to be challenging in formats uh, to really expect consistency out of, but an offense that should be able to bring uh, big plays in, uh, in, 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 the, in the passing game and in the running game with Anthony Richardson. Let's move over to Washington, where they've brought on Eric Bieniemy uh, to be the offensive coordinator. Um, another quarterback change. We did see Sam Howell at the end of the season last year, but he looks to be the week one favorite competing with Jacoby Brissett there for uh, four snaps at the quarterback position. We've seen Eric B offenses be fantastic and creative and innovative and really fun, but those were all with Patrick Mahomes, which it's a different uh, world creating offense for Patrick Mahomes versus creating offense for Sam Howell. Jack, what are your thoughts on the Washington commander? this season yeah i think this is one of the harder offenses to project from a play calling perspective because Bienemy um is, is like such an important offensive coordinator and that he's you know led super bowl teams and so moving from kansas city to washington for him is kind of a big deal and you'd think that that would give him some creative freedom to kind of run the offense he wants but the commanders were just incredibly run heavy, especially over the second half of last season. Um, they started with three positive PROE showings in their first five games. And then over their 12 final 12 games, they never had higher than a negative 3.5% uh, pass rate over expectation. And their cumulative number was negative 11.3, which was like in the same realm as the Bears and Falcons. Uh, the commander's GM, Martin Mayhew, said this offseason that at the beginning of the year, we were – 
two to one pass to run, which is not our formula. We want to be two to one run pass. That's how we want to play. Ron Rivera had a similar quote. He said, it's a philosophical belief. I mean, for me, it is. I've been involved with that. Um, if you look at the teams that do well, most of them rush for well over a thousand yards on offense. They control the tempo of the game. And I think that's what we need to do to win football games. So it, it seems like Commander's Brass wants to run the football um, and maybe having a healthy Brian Robinson for the entire season um, helps with that. But at the same time, the enemy has led more balanced and, and, you know, the last two years really pass heavy offenses, although that's with Mahomes, obviously a quarterback. And it's a big difference there between Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett. Um, so I think just based on what Mayhew and Rivera said, that they're going to be on the run heavier side of things. But it, it is just interesting to me that the enemy would accept a job where maybe he doesn't have full autonomy of the offense, um, given his track record. Yeah, and already some interesting quotes that came out actually today uh, from Ron Rivera about players struggling adapting to Bienemy's coaching style, which is a little bit more, I guess, on players um, and a little bit more attention to detail with different things where Ron Rivera has noted that you know players might need more coddling or different players need different things. Really unusual comments for a head coach to make about an offensive coordinator in kind of their first training camp setting together, which again speaks to maybe some disconnect between or power struggle between the two um, entities. And as Jack noted, Mark, it's a really difficult situation to project. So can you talk a little bit about from the projection side, how we're looking at Washington uh, this upcoming season? Definitely. Yeah. As, as Jack mentioned, Washington was really low in pass rate over expectation last year. They finished 28th um, while Kansas City, you know, was a top of the league first and in, in pass rate over expectation. So this year we did uh, bump the pass rate a little bit from from last season. We have about a two percent bump in uh, projected pass rate going into the season. Washington did run a lot of plays last season. And uh, Pat Thorman noted in his pace preview over the summer that that was because the Washington defense had a historic success rate on third down. So the offense just had the ball a lot, even though they ran it a ton, they still got off a ton of plays. So we actually have a, a decline of about three and a half plays um, going into this season projected because it does seem like they still will be, you know, run heavier scheme uh, based on the personnel. And, but again, it's, it is a difficult situation to project just because of the uncertainty. Um, you also have the, the factor that it could be Sam Howell or Jacoby Brissett at quarterback, which could really impact how we project things on a week-to-week -week basis. You know, Sam Howell, uh, much more mobile, probably will insert some more RPOs in the system um, if, when he's starting, whereas J Jacoby Brissett, probably a little slower-paced, um, you know, game manager type of quarterback where they're going to lean on the defense. So um, while we're projecting, you know, for the full season, I, I do think in season we could probably see some variance here in how we're projecting week to week. But um, yeah, it's, it, it's a little bit uncertain as we head into the season. Yeah. I wanted to follow up on that uh, with a question to Jack, Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett. Uh, Jack, I know you follow a lot of college sports as well. And, and Sam Howell at UNC uh, operated a pretty high powered offense that played pretty fast. It seemed like in the last game of the season when they were running with him, they seem to play up-tempo as well. Jacoby Brissett, wherever he's been, it seems to have been more of a kind of, as, as Mark alluded to, more of a game manager, kind of get, you know, play action um, occasionally, but allow him to kind of digest things at the line of scrimmage and then make some calls and kind of move things around. 
Sam Howell, younger quarterback. Oftentimes you do see with younger quarterbacks that the team tries to play faster to, to move things along. How big of a discrepancy do you think there would be in pace between the two quarterbacks? I definitely think that they would play faster with Hal. Um, Pat Thorman noted that they played noticeably faster in, in, in that Week 18 game. They snapped the ball with the seventh most seconds remaining on the play clock after they were 24th um, in the first 17 weeks of the season. So I, I do think that they would play faster with Hal, although that is just a one-game sample size, and it, it could just be noise. But I think a lot of what you just outlined um, makes sense. So I, I guess – Another question, and this is another thing where it's it's kind of hard to decipher, is how much of that like is the quarterback versus how much of that is the enemy, and how much of that is Rivera because they at this point they kind of seem like almost three different um, entities where you know maybe not everyone is is on the same page, um, but I, I guess we'll see. I do think what you just said about how. Uh, making the offense faster uh, would track. And, and assuming he's the week one starter, that's something that we'll be factoring into the week one projections. Um, but for the full season where we have to kind of find an average and, and bake in the possibility that both guys play. And then the other thing we've seen from BNME offenses, and a lot of this is also difficult to decipher because right, BNME offenses are also connected to Andy Reid. Andy Reid has a lot of influence on the offensive play calling as well in these situations, but we saw a ton of creativity from Kansas city over the past and using players in roles to uh, accentuate their athleticism. Uh, we've seen a lot of, you know, kind of the, the old, the college uh, like pitch play where the receiver comes in motion and just kind of gets the pitch. We saw that with Tyreek Hill, Nicole Hardman quite a bit in terms of players in Washington that could potentially see a boost in their utilization uh, both in terms of volume or in terms of efficiency, just kind of getting them in better spots for the way that they play. Uh, Mark, are there any names that jump out to you for the commanders this year? Well, I'm pretty excited about the commanders. And, and I actually posed this question in our Slack last night, like, you know, what, what's going on in the market with Curtis Samuel? Because we have very conservative projection on him based on uh, the, the target numbers he's posted and the rush attempt numbers he's posted in healthy seasons. And, you know, we're kind of well below the, the marks that he's posted and, and still about two to three rounds above ADP on, on best ball sites. And, you know, he's going undrafted right now on, in some, in some redraft home league sites. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty excited about Curtis Samuel just based on the price. And then obviously this season, um, you know, Jahan Dotson's going into a second year and really excelled down the stretch last season when he came back from injury. And then, uh, you know, we get Terry McLaurin up there at the top. He's still going relatively high in fantasy drafts, but it, it is a, a bit of a different personnel than we've seen in Kansas city. Obviously, you know, the chiefs so much runs through Travis Kelsey in that offense. And um, the, the starting tight end is expected to be Logan Thomas, who's, you know, well over 30 and has, has multiple injury um, issues in his past. So I, I think this will lean more into the wide receivers than we probably saw in Kansas city. So I'm definitely bullish on them. And then um, I do think with Antonio Gibson stepping into kind of the more receiving back role that we've seen McKissick occupy in Washington the past few years that he could be, you know, one of uh, one of the more explosive and, and kind of gadget type players that you mentioned, you know, BNME likes to use. Um, remember, we can remember Gibson was a receiver back at Memphis and has a lot of, has a lot of uh, experience in the receiving game. So maybe we do see him split out wide and, and, you know, come in, fly sweeps and, and things along that line. So um, I do think Washington has the skill position grouping to, you know, really excel under Biennemi. And And one thing I want to hit on too, that Jack mentioned is it's interesting that Biennemi would 
kind of do a lateral move, you know, technically from offensive coordinator in Kansas city to offensive coordinator in Washington without a little more assurance that he's going to be able to call the shots and, and call the plays. So while I, I do hear, you know, the, the comments from Rivera and ultimately he probably has the final say, I do think the enemy, you know, this is a step up for him and, and he's going to want to show what he's got. So I'm, I'm expecting big things from him and, you know, a bit more uh, of what we've seen in Kansas city versus what we've seen in, in Ron Rivera's past here in Washington. Similar question to you, Jack. There are any players in, in particular that you think stand to benefit from the creativity that Eric Bieniemy brings to the table? Yeah, the two I was going to bring up were Gibson um, and Curtis Samuel. I think they just fit the mold of that dual threat player with a lot of athleticism. Um, and then, like Mark said, I just think maybe they have three talented wide receivers and maybe um, Bieniemy will be able to use them a little better than, than they have in the past and really – uh, play to their strengths. So I, I think uh, Gibson and Samuel are probably the two that spring to mind. Um, and then just better wide receiver usage, as Mark said. All right. From the commanders, let's move to the AFC. And if you want to talk about coaching changes, coaching impacts, look no further than the Denver Broncos, where Sean Payton will tell you all about the differences in coaching changes this year. No Nathaniel Hackett around anymore. New offensive coordinator, Joe Lombardi of the Chargers, new defensive coordinator, Vance Joseph, formerly the Arizona Cardinals defensive coordinator. Uh, Mark, being the, the Denver resident, I'll lead with you here. What are your expectations for the differences in this Denver Broncos offense uh, under Sean Payton and Joe Lombardi this year? Yeah, so I think with the the struggles we saw last year from Russell Wilson, as well as some of the offseason you know, moves Sean Payton has made as head coach immediately, signing Samaj P. Ryan in free agency as one of the earliest running backs to go off the board. Um, obviously, we have Javante Williams coming back from injury here. But, you know, I expect Sean Payton, like when you look at his splits in New Orleans, it's really kind of like a, a tale of two stories. And from 2013 to 2016, kind of when Drew Brees was in his prime and the Saints offense was humming, they also had some horrible defenses in that era, but they were really having to turn out the offensive production. Um, they averaged, you know, between 68 and 69 plays per game, which is uh, at, at the top of the league. Um, this year we have the Chargers projected for the most plays in the NFL with 67 um, in, in those four seasons that I mentioned the the saints were above 67 in every single one of those years, as well as around a 63% pass rate. So they're really high, uh, fast paced, heavy pass rate. And then afterwards, 2017 to 2021, where we kind of saw the decline of drew Brees and, you know, a little uh, less talented skill position players, a little more reliant on the defense. They dropped way down to about 63 plays per game and the pass rate dipped to about 55% on average. So really steep decline there and I'm that's kind of what I'm more expecting here in Denver given the personnel um, especially again with Russell Wilson's struggles last year kind of playing in rhythm and in the system um, I, I think here that you know we can kind of expect um, uh, plays right around league average here around 63 to 64 plays per game and then um, a pass rate that was you know a, a little bit lower than last season uh, by about two percent we have projected just based on, again on the personnel that they've done and kind of early quotes from Sean Payton, you know, heavily leaning on the run game. We know he involves his, his running backs a lot in the passing game as well. So um, that, that's kind of what I'm seeing initially. And then, um, you know, I think with, with Tim Patrick going down in the wide receiver core, we could see a pretty condensed target tree here in Denver. Um, you know, there's been, been some high regards to Greg Dolchich and training camp that he could play you know, a specific role, uh, the tight end role that we've seen excel in Sean Payton's offenses in the past. But 
Um, overall, I think, you know, a, a run heavier approach and uh, relatively, you know, average pace um, compared to what we saw in, in Sean Payton's early days in New Orleans. It sounds like, you know, from what you just described there with the difference between early Drew Brees and late Drew Brees in his career, that there is some volatility in terms of trying to project this, where if Russell Wilson has a renaissance of sorts, we could see them play a lot faster. The other thing we've seen from Russell Wilson, though, that's different from Drew Brees when you're talking about play volume expectation is that, you know, Russell Wilson, when he's been successful in the past, has been a lot of downfield stuff, whereas Drew Brees has been a lot of underneath stuff. Underneath stuff obviously leads to more play volume simply because you're taking up fewer chunks of yards that time jack what are your uh, thoughts on the broncos offense this season how optimistic are you on the sean payton uh era yeah i think in terms of comparing the broncos to the saints um i think a lot of the reason for the the change in play calling and um overall philosophy with the saints was just the improvement of the defense because those saints defenses in the mid 2010s were just absolutely terrible and it was like just a game of who could score 30, 35 first. Um, and, and so the Broncos have a good defense. So I think like Mark said, we see a more balanced approach, both in terms of pace um, and pass rate. I, I think honestly, the biggest thing for this offense is just more competent coaching. And, you know, Sean Payton would certainly agree. Um, the, the Broncos were last in the league in points per game last year. Uh, we don't we don't project any like significant changes um, in play volume and then pass rate. Uh, we are down two percent, but that could just be that they're going to be a little bit better. So maybe they don't have to throw as much uh, late in the game. So I, I think just a more efficient offense overall. Uh, Peyton and Joe Lombardi at offensive coordinator tr- trying to replicate the success they had in New Orleans and trying to revive Russ Wilson's career here is the biggest change I'm expecting. Yeah, and it's really interesting because this offense, you know, the fantasy football community and market was very optimistic on last year. We saw both Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton kind of going in the top you know, five or six rounds. This year, Jerry Judy has held some of that optimism. Cortland Sutton's um, optimism has declined substantially. He's going in ninth, 10th, 11th rounds at different times now, depending on draft formats and whatnot. Uh, Greg Dulcich in that tight end room, a player that people were excited about last year as a late round pick has moved into that kind of mid tier at the tight end position. And obviously the running back situation is one to really focus on with Samaji Pirine and Javante Williams. Javante Williams, a former top two round pick pre-injury battling all the way back here. I think one of the interesting things is trying to decipher with these coaches when they you look at past stops, right? In New Orleans, we saw a lot of success with Alvin Kamara. We saw a lot of success with Jimmy Graham. Is that because of the offense or is that because of the talent of those players and the coaches kind of getting their players in the best positions? Uh, Mark, what are your thoughts in terms of, you know, Samaji P. Ryan, Javante Williams, the running back room and how it will be organized by Sean Payton when you look back at how he utilized running back uh, rooms with the Saints? I think at least early on, we should expect a pretty solid mix of both. Um, it, it sounds like Javante, you know, is is having a great recovery in terms of uh, the major injury he suffered. And, you know, you mentioned kind of the the Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara early days where, you know, they would split work and, and both, uh, you know, Kamara was obviously heavily involved in the passing game. And then Mark Ingram would kind of come in as, as a short yardage back. And I see, you know, Pirine and, and Javante, have kind of skill sets that could 
that could do both. Honestly, we, we saw P Ryan be the primary third down back in Cincinnati and operate the, you know, the pass uh, downs there. And so I'm expecting kind of a similar role in Denver. Clearly Sean Payton saw something out of P Ryan that he liked, um, but P Ryan's also a big back. Um, you know, I think about 220, 230 pounds over six foot. So he could also do the short yardage. Um, and, and, you know, if, if Javante, comes back slowly, maybe they work him more in, in the past game. So he's not just running, you know, through the tackles as much. Um, in, in terms of fantasy, I've been more optimistic on P Ryan uh, in drafts, you know, getting him in, in the 10th, 11th round, because I do think he'll have a role right away. And that role will continue throughout the season, even if Javante does come back to full health. Um, you know, these multi ligament injuries are, are just really scary to me. So I've, I've mostly been avoiding Javante where he's going in drafts, especially now that he's creeping up. But um, you know, I, I do believe in Javante as, as a player. He's a great prospect, obviously great athlete. So I think he'll have, they'll both have success um, in terms of the backfield. Yeah. I, I kind of like both and, and, and think that'll carry over from, from the past regime. Yeah, there was room for both Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara to be fantasy viable uh, in those roles. If I'm remembering correctly, back in those years, you'd have Kamara kind of going in the top two rounds of fantasy drafts, and you'd have Ingram going like six, seven, eight, something like that. In this situation, heading into this year, you've got these two running backs going. You know, Javante's creeped up to like seven, eight now, so maybe both eight round eight or later, you could say. Uh, Mark, do you feel like there's still plenty of room for for profit on these running backs? I do. I do. Um, again, especially with P Ryan, I, I think P Ryan's going to be involved the entire year. Um, just even, you know, even with Javante being the talent that he is, um, I, I do think I, I'm, you know, in, in best ball formats, this is we're, we're gearing this more towards redraft, but in best ball formats, I do like Javante a bit more just because, you know, all the money is at the end of the season and that's yeah. kind of what we want to be building teams for. So um, especially if you, you know, kind of start with a few running backs early that can carry you through the early weeks and feel confident in, I think adding Javante kind of in that seventh, eighth rounds could make sense, but there's also a lot of high upside wide receivers going in that range as well. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more on the P Ryan side just based on price, but, Certainly, I think Javante fits uh, certain best ball builds well. And Jack, on the wide receiver side of things, this was a wide receiver room that, from a projection standpoint, was pretty pretty deep and difficult to project kind of the back end with Tim Patrick, with Marvin Mims. They brought, you know, Sean Payton brought over Marquez Callaway as well to kind of relive the glory days of New Orleans. Um, now with the Tim Patrick injury kind of clearing things up a little bit more, how, optimist, uh, how optimistic are you on the the Broncos pass catchers for this season. I I'm pretty optimistic um, relative to price, especially on Marvin Mims. Um, I think with Patrick out of the picture, he should have, you know, wide receiver three duties to himself with the potential to ascend throughout the year. The Broncos were really high on him. Um, they traded up to draft him and then Sean Payton was glowing about him uh, in his post draft press conference. Um, I think Marvin Mims could be a big factor by the end of the year. Maybe now, maybe starts off the season as just, you know, a deep threat. Um, but, but by the end of the year, uh, the chance to, to earn a higher target share. And then I, I think Judy and Sutton, it kind of just comes down to what you think of a Russell Wilson uh, resurgence. I, I think it's, it's likely enough and I'm fine with those guys at their ADPs, but I'm not like going out of the, my way to draft them. Yeah, a natural transition from Denver to the New York Jets, where the new offensive coordinator there is former Denver Broncos head coach Nathaniel Hackett. Um, 
he's also the former offensive coordinator for Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. They have a new quarterback situation here going from Zach Wilson, Mike White, Joe Flacco, kind of whoever was available and healthy last year to Aaron Rodgers emerging from the darkness this year. So, Jack, I'll start with you. What are your expectations for how this Jets offense looks uh, this year compared to last year? I know a lot of people are very excited about just kind of looking at the Jets' total passing yards last year and extrapolating improvement because of Aaron Rodgers. What are your thoughts on uh, the Packers' passing game vol- – or, excuse me, the Jets' passing game volume this year with Aaron Rodgers? I think philosophically it makes a lot of sense to just look at the data from when Rodgers and Hackett were together – in Green Bay, uh, I, I do think they're going to be a more efficient passing offense, but we're projecting a pretty big downturn um, in terms of pass rate from 64.1% last year down to uh, a little under 61% this year. And a lot of that is just that that's how the Packers were in Green Bay uh, with, with Rodgers and Hackett. They were pretty balanced. And then also this looks like it's going to be one of the more improved teams in football because the defense is obviously loaded and now they have Aaron Rodgers instead of the rotating cast of uh, Zach Wilson, Mike White, etc. Uh, so I do think they're going to be more efficient um, in terms of are they going to blow up passing yards wise? I'm, I'm not so sure. Yeah, Mark, and I think that's one of the things that has kept us maybe slightly more muted on some of the specifically Garrett Wilson, which we've been a little bit behind market. Uh, He's going kind of end of first round, early second round. We've been a little bit behind basically like early second round is kind of the, the approach for Garrett Wilson a super talented player who put up great numbers under a very difficult situation in the past. You've got Aaron Rodgers also bringing over his whole cast of veteran best friends, uh, Randall Cobb, uh, Lazard, so on and so forth in terms of getting them into the wide receiver room. So what are your expectations? Because this is a really deep wide receiver room. They added McCole Hardman. They also had Corey Davis, you know, former uh, top 10 uh, draft capital player overall, who's had a solid career. Nothing certainly hasn't lived up to that expectation in terms of a top uh, five pick, but uh, has had a solid career, really deep wide receiver room here. What are your expectations for how playing time will shake out uh, under this new Jets offense? It is really deep and, and tough to project. You know, we're trying to sift through the uh, training camp report notes, but, you know, can always take those with a grain of salt. And, I mean, you kind of mentioned it. Uh, it. It seems like they're the Packers of the East Coast, you know, right now. And and so Jack mentioned as well, like, I, I think the play volume is, is going to come down here. We saw the Packers last year. They were the slowest team uh, in terms of neutral play clock. When, when the ball was snapped, they were down to 6.1 seconds left on the play clock when the ball was snapped and only one other team was below seven seconds here. So I think in terms, you know, when we just kind of look at the, the receiving core, I think it's going to be tough to decipher, you know, week in and week out behind Garrett Wilson. I think Garrett Wilson is a stud, you know, we saw in green Bay so many seasons where Devonte Adams was just the clear number one option. And, and even though defenses knew it was coming, they still couldn't stop it because of the chemistry that they uh, Rogers and he had developed. So I think we can probably see a similar outcome here in, in New York where, you know, Garrett Wilson is the kind of the one a and one B option in this offense. And then the, the wide receiver two will kind of be dependent on, you know, who can get in the end zone. Potentially we've seen that with Alan Lazard and his past career and in, in green Bay, you know, he's, he's not necessarily an explosive player. Doesn't get, get a lot of uh, chunk yardage, but you know, has solid games when he gets into the end zone here. So um, I do expect that Corey Davis and Alan Lazard will be, you know, the, the, 
two wide receivers up next in terms of playing time behind Garrett Wilson. Um, and then you mentioned McCole Hartman here. I think he'll be more of just kind of a speed threat uh, in terms of, you know, when he's out on the field, I'm expecting, uh, you know, not too much in, in terms of like run blocking from him. I'm, I'm sure he'll be out there in obvious pass situations. So uh, kind of when we're looking for fantasy projections, you know, if, if there's games that the jets are projected to trail more, maybe someone like McCole Hardman will get more run, but um, I'm not expecting much from Randall Cobb, even though, you know, he was handpicked by Rogers to come over for the Packers. I definitely think he's over the hill and uh, you know, the, the jets have better options here. So I think that'll win out in the end, but um, I do think Corey Davis is a little interesting in drafts just because he's completely free right now. And, you know, there's, he, he can certainly compete with Alan Lazard for the wide receiver two spot there. So um, I, I like targeting these guys a little bit in redraft because I think we'll find out early on if Lazard or Davis, you know, is the de facto wide receiver two. And if they are, that's great. You know, they're, they're cheap right now, especially Davis. And if they're not, that's okay. We can, we can cut them or, you know, move on, keep them on our bench, whatever. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm week one will be, you know, a huge information dump here from the Jets in terms of how to, how they're utilizing the wide receivers behind Garrett Wilson. Yeah, it sounds like consensus from us on the Jets is they're probably scoring a lot more points this year. They're probably running a lot fewer plays this year, and they're probably um, going to get there with more efficiency on the whole. So you might see a situation where everybody touting kind of the yards aspect of things and how many passing yards they had last year, they might meet that or fall a little bit below that. But the fantasy points are kind of made up for by this team being able to generate touchdowns that they weren't able to generate last year. Um, and, and Mark, you highlighted the, the defense as well. Like this is going to be one of the best defenses most likely in the NFL. And that's going to afford them the ability to play slower as well. And everything that we've seen from Aaron Rodgers, he just loves to take his time at the line of scrimmage and really diagnose things and really run the play clock and kind of control the tempo of the game. And so I'm with you guys. I think this is going to be a pretty slow paced offense on the whole. I'm not expecting them to get forced into a lot of shootouts. If they do, I think it will be earlier in the season rather than later, which also from a redraft perspective, for those of you out there in your home leagues and whatnot, I think there might be selling opportunities on Jets players kind of mid-season. They do have a very tough schedule to start the season. Um, but also just remember, as you get towards the end of the season uh, in the Northeast, we have often weather games, right? And this is a division that has Buffalo in New England, along with the New York Jets. So I think in those situations late in the season, you might even get kind of slower paced games uh, from the Jets. So my thought process on the Jets is pretty optimistic on their ability to generate points, a little bit more optimistic on the whole on them in half PPR or non PPR formats than full PPR formats. Cause I think play volume will be down. And I think for those of you that are in trade heavy leagues, there might be opportunities to actually sell on the receiving side of things kind of early in the season. Um, as I expect pace of play will slow down even further as we get later in the season. Okay. Let's move to one of the offenses we are most excited about this year, the Los Angeles chargers. New offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore, formerly of the Cowboys. New defensive coordinator, Derek Ainsley, formerly the Chargers defensive backs coach. The Chargers offense has been one that has been loaded with fantasy talent and, and players that people want to draft. Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Austin Eckler, Justin Herbert. But they've underperformed the last few years. And despite being a really aggressive offense in terms of going for it on fourth downs and whatnot, it just hasn't all clicked Enter Kellen Moore, who did some wonderful things with the Cowboys offense. Jack, what are your thoughts on how 
this impacts the Chargers offense and projections going into this year? Yeah, we're, we're from a play calling perspective. We think the Chargers offense is just going to be amazing for fantasy. We have them first uh, in the league in plays per game by more than two plays. They've been near the top of the league in pace the past few seasons. And now they bring in Kellen Moore, as you said, who over his past four years in Dallas ranked second, first, first, and fourth in situation neutral pace per uh, our Pat Thorman. They also ranked top six in no huddle rate in each of the past four years, including top two in each of the last three years. Um, So I think that this offense is just going to be blazing fast. And then the other big impact is that Justin Herbert had the third lowest average depth of target uh, among quarterbacks with at least 200 dropbacks last year at 6.9. That was with Joe Lombardi at offensive coordinator. Dak Prescott has been above average in ADOT in the past two years. And we know that Justin Herbert has one of the best arms in the NFL. And they have two great downfield threats in Mike Williams and Quinton Johnston. So I think this offense is going to be very fast. They're they're the favorite to be the fastest offense in the league in terms of plays per game. And they're going to really start taking advantage of of Herbert's ability to throw the ball downfield, which maybe we haven't seen as much over the past two seasons. And and that has also been kind of the buzz out of Chargers camp, uh, which is, I guess, some nice confirmation bias to see there. Yeah, Mark, I think this is the offense I'm probably most invested in. This and the one that we'll talk about next uh, in terms of my portfolio, drafting early on in in the best ball season. How optimistic are you on on the Chargers entering the 2023-2024 season? This has to be the year, right? I mean, uh, when you look at this offense, it's it's so deep and it, it's so loaded and just geared towards the passing game. Obviously, at running back with Austin Eckler, you know, one of the best pass catchers in the league at running back. Um, and then you add Quentin Johnson to this already talented group of Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, you know, Josh Palmer, no slouch to have as a wide receiver for now. And then you also have Gerald Everett, who several fantasy analysts are, you know, expecting an uptick in volume based on how Kellen Moore used Dalton Schultz in the past. And, and so there's just kind of weapons all over the place here. Um, I am, I'm just as bullish as you guys are this. I I just like love taking anyone from the chargers. I think, uh, you know, as we've mentioned, just going to be really fast paced, high scoring team. Um, You know, they don't necessarily have the personnel to even really like grind, grind the clock at the end of games perhaps after their collapse in the playoffs against the Jaguars, you know, where they couldn't ice away the game. Uh, Maybe they work on that a bit more in in the regular season, but I kind of think no, just based on, again, the personnel that they have out here. So extremely bullish, you know, hopefully getting Rashawn Slater back at left tackle will be huge. Brandon Thorne has them ranked as the fifth overall offensive line for us at ETR. So, um, I mean, it's just all systems go, I think. And, And yeah, I love the Chargers this year for fantasy. Yeah, I think the combination of new coaching staff that allows you to be a little bit more optimistic along with uh, better offensive line play, which is getting, you know, first round pick Rayshon Slater back is just the nut combo for optimism and excitement about an upcoming uh, offense. And the Chargers are one that they've been successful in the past from fantasy. We've seen spike weeks from each of these three guys individually. Sometimes it's had to come when one of the three is out when like Keenan Allen gets hurt. We've seen Mike Williams emerge. Um, Eckler be pretty consistent in the past, but adding this, this third wide receiver weapon in Quentin Johnston could really do some interesting things to the offense because he does have the downfield ability, but he's also mostly in college, a great yards after catch guy in the middle of the field, which we've seen Keenan Allen operate in the middle of the field with lots of space at different times. So Jack, what are your thoughts on Quentin Johnson and how long will it take for him to emerge in this offense? 
Yeah, there, there's some notes out of Chargers training camp that Josh Palmer's performing well, um, but that's also the kind of thing we've seen before where the veteran that we know um, is kind of just, just another guy um, is, you know, splitting reps with the first-round rookie. So I think Johnson's going to be on the field pretty quickly. And then he has he can perform as the wide receiver three in this offense, but things get really interesting if Mike Williams or Keenan Allen miss time. And we've seen that happen in the past, um, especially with Mike Williams. Keenan's been pretty healthy the last few years, but he had the soft tissue stuff last year and he's getting up there in age. So definitely a possibility that he misses time too. And so, I mean, Johnston could have sent this depth chart um, if either of those guys get hurt. And it's just going to be such a fantasy friendly offense that even being the wide receiver two in this offense could lead to like, wide receiver one top 10 top five type weeks um so i I think johnston is going to have his his share of weeks uh early in the season and then if something happens to either of those guys ahead of him that's when we could really see him explode yeah makes a ton of sense uh the other offense in the last offense that we'll talk about before getting out of here that i am really heavily invested in in this in this offseason is the baltimore ravens uh we've got the contract uh, situation settled for Lamar Jackson, which honestly I think is almost as big uh, or as important as the coaching change with offensive coordinator Todd Munkin. Um, I thought they they were really creative and innovative in the run game and had like a really fun uh, stint with Greg Roman there in the past that I thought got a lot out of their offense, but I think it was starting to get a little bit stale. But the biggest question mark for the Ravens from an offensive perspective last few years has been is Lamar Jackson going to be playing at the end of the season because of health issues and then kind of this lingering contract dispute frustration, bringing up question marks of whether that's impacting his willingness or excitement to kind of get back on the field and risk his body. The question marks around the contract are settled. Now we've got Todd Munkin, uh, formerly of the Georgia Bulldogs, as the offensive coordinator. We have seen Munkin in the NFL with Tampa Bay utilizing a high-flying and downfield passing attack with Jameis Winston. Um, Mark, I'll start with you on on the Ravens. They draft Zay Flowers with one of their early draft picks in in this draft, making a bigger and stronger commitment to the passing game along with the new hire of Todd Munkin. What are your thoughts on how this Ravens offense transforms in this 2023-2024 season? Well, all signs point to faster pace and higher pass rate, uh, clearly with all their offseason moves and, and just with Tom Monken's history in the past. Um, again, quoting Pat Thorman here, who just does awesome work, especially when we're you know trying to predict these new coaching changes. Uh, he said when Todd Monken was in Tampa Bay, the Bucks ranked fourth, fourth and 11th in situation neutral pace. And in his final two seasons there, they passed at the second and 11th highest clip at a situation neutral pace. Todd Monken, you know, one of his first quotes that really got everyone excited this summer was, uh, you know, saying he wants to take Lamar back to Louisville with the four, you know, four or five wide offense, um, you know, playing with plenty of tempo, spreading it out and let Lamar do his thing. Um, there was an interesting little little nugget yesterday from training from training camp that Patrick Ricard, who had been a fullback for the Ravens season past, you mentioned Greg Roman's creativity in the run game. Patrick Ricard was their you know primary fullback. And when he returned yesterday at training camp, he was only playing offensive line. So I think we could almost see, you know, his position at fullback kind of completely phased out here as they continue to spread it out um, and, and, you know, have a higher pass rate. Um, I mentioned with Tampa Bay, just how, you know, precipitous the drop-off was in terms of pass rate and plays per game where we are projecting this season. And it's kind of the opposite for Baltimore. 
Last year, they had a 54% pass rate. This year, we're projecting a 60% pass rate. Um, you know, that's, that's our biggest jump of the season in terms of pass rate uh, year over year. And then you mentioned it with, you know, the, the drafting of Zay Flowers. They signed Odell Beckham. I think, you know, all signs here point to multiple receivers out on the field. You know, we know Mark Andrews is extremely talented as a tight end. So, um, man, it's, it's wheels up for me here. I'm, I'm just as excited as you are as well. And, and I think, you know, rightfully so here. Jack, what are your thoughts on how this wide receiver situation breaks out? We've got Odell Beckham, who hasn't been able to play for a few years due to due to injury. We've got Rashad Bateman, who's flashed in limited opportunities, but had his own battles and his opening camp on Pup uh, with the foot injury that he dealt with at the end of last year. And then we've got Zay Flowers, a rookie wide receiver that during the draft process, people got more and more excited about those of us who kind of played college football DFS or followed college football DFS. He was always a really interesting guy because he demanded a ton of targets on a really bad uh, Boston College passing offense uh, that had very, very inconsistent quarterback play. How do you expect this wide receiver hierarchy uh, to play out both at the beginning of the season and then, and over time? Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to get pretty excited about Zay Flowers um, between the projected increase in passing volume here uh the he got round one draft capital and then he's absolutely crushing at camp according to beat reporters Rashad Bateman has uh is still you know not practicing with his his injury and then Odell Beckham just with his advanced age and the injury problems he's had in the in the past I'm a little skeptical um of him returning a full season of, of a high target share so I'm starting to get pretty excited about Zay Flowers between all of that. I know uh, Adam Levitan tweeted out a couple days ago that he's a little bit worried about Bateman not getting two wide receiver snaps to start the season. And, and that kind of soured me on him a little bit. Um, so it, it just seems like the other two guys have pretty major concerns running them. Whereas it seems like everything out of Baltimore is saying it, it's Zay Flowers just smashing every day at camp. So I, I'm pretty into him. One of the late round draft picks that really emerged for them last year was Isaiah Likely there were concerns kind of heading into this year that, you know, previous offenses had been so tight end friendly with Baltimore. And I think some of that is the offenses, but I think a lot of that is Lamar. Lamar really works over the middle of the field, super, super effectively is a guy that throws with kind of more touch and loft than necessarily kind of ripping it to the sidelines and whatnot. And there were concerns about how this new offense might enact more three wide receivers on the field, less opportunities for Isaiah likely. But I think some of these injury concerns around Odell Beckham and Rashad Bateman also open up paths where Baltimore can just say, Hey, like we can just craft this offense and make it the same way. And just basically treat Mark Andrews as a, as a, as a slotted out wide receiver and move Isaiah likely in line and run two wide receiver, two tight end sets. Isaiah likely we've talked about as a, as a really interesting kind of, handcuff or late round tight end option to take because of the upside that if something happens to Mark Andrews, but I think what we might not be talking about enough is what if something happens to Bateman or Odell Beckham, because the wide receiver depth chart beyond that, you've got like Nelson Aguilar who's bounced around a little bit. It's not quite as deep. So Mark, what are your thoughts on Isaiah likely? And for those out there in redraft leagues, is he normally we're not taking backup tight ends on rosters, right? That's not normally something we're doing because we're taking our one tight end and then we're kind of cycling through the waiver wire during the course of the season. If we need, we're using those spots on backup running backs or situations that really could see boost of value due to injuries. Is Isaiah likely worth a pick in redraft home leagues uh, as the rare backup tight end? 
I don't think so at this point. I, I'm still viewing him more as a handcuff tight end. Um, you know, you kind of talk through the scenario of how it would play out, but that's that's a lot of things that have to happen for likely to see you know meaningful snaps. I I, I still think his his kind of path to upside is as a Mark Andrews injury. Um, you mentioned they brought in Nelson Aguilar and they still have Devin Duvernay on the, on the roster who was, you know, essentially their wide receiver two and sometimes their wide receiver one uh, last season and has built up a rapport with Lamar Jackson. So um, while I, while I do think, you know, there is some upside with likely, I'm not necessarily drafting him in redraft. Um, but if, if anything happened to Mark Andrews, you know, I would absolutely run to the waiver wire to pick up likely. Yeah. Um, Jack, any last thoughts on the Ravens offense before we get out of here? Uh, yeah, I, I think Mark Andrews, um, maybe he's not even worth talking about, but if this passing offense does what we expect, he has just been like an underrated target earner over the past few years. Even when Rashad Bateman was healthy in the last three weeks, he had a 23% target share. And then in weeks two and three with Bateman, he had 38% target share in week two and 45% in week three. Three. So there's so much focus on these this wide receiver room when it, it could just be if, if Mark Andrews is still getting like a 25% target share, which we've seen him do in the past in a offense that is passing the ball significantly more like he could just go nuts this season. All right, we've done it. We've covered seven key coaching changes and how they'll impact offenses in fantasy football in the upcoming 2023 season. For Jack Miller, for Mark Dankenbring, I'm Drew Dinkmeyer. We'll catch you next time with another episode of Establish the Edge.